Chapter 4 of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. Woodpeckers. Could the woodpecker tell his own story, it would be worth the hearing and take him a good while to tell it. It would need no patience on our part to listen, for no other bird has ways so drolly interesting. No, not even the jay or the crow. And he ought to be able to tell a good story with such a tongue as he has in his saucy head. Not that he uses his tongue to talk or to sing with, but he does stranger things with it. If your eyes are sharp and you are able to stand quite still among the oaks so nobody will know you are about, you may chance to catch a glimpse of the woodpecker's tongue. Not that he was ever known to put out his tongue for anybody to see, not he. He thrust it out suddenly and into crevices of bark and cracks anywhere, and little holes for any dainty morsel of an insect which may be hiding. The bird will hardly give you time to notice that the very tip of his tongue is barbed like an arrow or the spines of a cactus. These barbs are placed on the tip of a woodpecker's tongue on purpose to hold on to things with. It is very interesting to watch the woodpecker among the trees in quiet places, poking about with his tongue in the haunts of the beetle folk that would only be too glad to get out of his reach and they would get away in a hurry many a time were it not for the barbs on the rascal's tongue. These barbs seize right hold of an insect and draw it out of its snug quarters. You see, the barbs slant backwards towards the throat of the bird, and so they brush whatever is in their way straight into the open beak of the woodpecker. Should you say to the woodpecker, let me see your tongue, if you please, sir, and the bird should put it out, you would notice that it projects as far beyond the tip of the beak as the length of the beak itself and you would wonder what he does with it when he is done putting it out. If by any chance you should come upon a dead woodpecker, you might ask the teacher to dissect the head, so all the children in the room could see exactly how the tongue works. You would find that it is divided in the throat into a pair of slender gristle bones. These bones pass clear over the back of the skull, coming down in front to beneath the nostrils. A narrow strip of muscle goes along with them to help them move back and forth. So when a woodpecker pleases, he is able to stretch his tongue far beyond his beak. And the bird has use enough for such a tongue. It does its best work in the dark. It is so sensitive, we might almost conclude, the bird smells with it. If it finds an insect too small for the barbs to get good hold of, the woodpecker wets the tip of its tongue with saliva from its mouth. Of course, the insect sticks, and comes out of its hiding place, just as the woodpecker would have it. It is on the same principle that you wet the end of your finger to pick up a very small, flat seed. The saliva of the woodpecker is made after a sticky fashion, and the more the insect kicks against the tanglefoot paste, the closer it sticks to the tongue of the bird. But the tongue would be of little service without the beak behind it. The beak is strong and hard. It is hammer and auger and axe and wedge. A few feet from the window where we are writing is one of those great black walnut trees we have mentioned before. This very minute a woodpecker is hammering away with all his might. His big head bobs up and down as if it were a hammerhead driving a nail into the tree. He is holding on by his toes and partly bracing himself by the tips of his pointed tail feathers. His toes are not like those of most birds. There are two of them that point forward and two that point backward or downward when he is on the tree trunk. He has no fear of falling or slipping. He might take a nap in the self-same position were we not going to open the door at this particular moment. 
We go out towards the tree silently and slowly. Woodpecker observes us and takes a hitch around the trunk in a fashion of his own. He would have us think he has gone away to the woods. We wait. We know his tricks. Now his big round head appears slyly from behind the tree, and he takes a hurried look our way. Now he takes another hitch, and so we follow him quite around the tree. He stops to hammer between spells, and this gives us time to walk closer. Our great American bird student, Audubon, tells this story of the woodpecker as he knew the bird. Quote, when alighted on a fence stake by the road or in a field, and one approaches them, they gradually move sidewise out of sight, peeping now and then to discover your intention. When you are quite close and opposite, the birds will lie still until you have passed, when they hop to the top of the stake and rattle upon it with their bill, as if well pleased with their trick. Should you approach within arm's length, which you may often do, the woodpecker flies to the next stake, bends his head to peep, and rattles again, as if to invite you to go on with the game. He alights on the roof of the house, goes along it, beats the shingles, utters a cry, and dives down into your garden to help himself to your best strawberries. Unquote. When our woodpecker flies, he looks as if he wears a white gown, with a black cloak thrown over his shoulders, and a crimson cap on his head. As for his eyes, they are white or pink, and they look so droll, something like the eyes of the blackbirds on the lawn. Now he is running up and down and all around a pepper tree in the front garden. We should say that he runs up and backs down the tree, for he does not run head down as the creeper and some of its relations do. He is making little round holes in the bark of the pepper tree. He has already made this tree look very oddly marked, as if it were done on purpose to show us what a fine woodcarver he is. Some of the holes are in rows and others scattered or in imperfect rings. Many of them were made some time ago and are full of white sap, now dried into white gum or resin. Woodpecker picks this gum out, but he has better manners than to chew it in company. Indeed, he never does chew it at all. We suppose it melts or softens after it is swallowed and digests. Some of the little holes in the bark are old and black, and the bird finds nothing in them. He simply peeps into them as he goes around, making fresh holes and taking gum from others. He may imagine it was himself that stored the white gum in the holes, as he is known to store other things. The truth is, he simply bored the hole, and the tree secreted the gum for him. First it was juice, then it congealed into wax. You can taste it for yourself. You will wonder what woodpecker wants of such gum as that. Some woodpeckers are thrifty. They have a way of saving something for a rainy day, which other people would do well to imitate. One kind of woodpecker called the flicker was seen to drop acorns into a hole in the roof of an old barn. As often as he dropped the nut in, he peeped down to see it, but it was out of sight. Usually he can see what he is hiding and judge if it is properly done. Not seeing his acorn, he went on dropping more into the hole as if he were bent on filling it to the brim. But it was more of an undertaking than he supposed. He gave it up after a few days. It would have taken more acorns than a hundred woodpeckers could find to fill that empty old barn. That was a good joke. Woodpeckers make their nests at the end of long, deep holes in tree trunks. A boy sees a hole far up the side of an old tree, and he thinks now is his chance. Hasn't he wished he could find a woodpecker's nest for many a day? After a while, after breaking his suspenders and tearing his clothes, and getting smut from last year's forest fires all over himself, he reaches the hole. It is much deeper than he supposed. 
His arm seems shorter than it ought to be, and he tries the other arm. Should he reach the bottom of one nest, out of half a dozen that he is lucky enough to find, he may wish he hadn't. For snakes very often make their homes in such places after they have been deserted by their original owners. Possibly the bird has told the boy exactly where to find the nest by dropping a pile of chips at the foot. Woodpeckers and carpenter bees have a way of scattering their chips about at the base of the tree they are working in. Thus are these workmen known by their chips, as says the old adage. The eggs of the woodpecker are from four to six. They are white and glossy, like the china eggs used for nest eggs in a poultry yard. Besides insects under leaves, under bark, and in decayed wood, some woodpeckers catch moths and flies on the wing almost as well as the true flycatchers. In fruit and nut time, they live high, and this is when the farmer wishes there weren't any woodpeckers, and he sets his boys to shooing the birds away. If the boys surprise a woodpecker in the orchard at a late apple tree, he will plunge his beak into a sample and fly off to cover with it, as much as to say, I'll have one out of your hundreds anyway, follow me and get it. Woodpecker knows a cornfield from a marsh meadow or an orange orchard, and he loves to strip down the corn husks. He listened outside, clinging to the tall stalk, and he heard the fat worm gnawing its own breakfast inside. In taking the worm, he incidentally tastes of the milky sweet juice of the corn and smacks his mouth for more. The farmer thinks he comes for the corn, when in truth he is after the worms that are there before him. But Woodpecker and Mr. Farmer have a misunderstanding about the matter. Woodpecker is waiting, with many other birds, for the boys to tell the farmers they are more good than harm. End of chapter 4